Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. And welcome into another episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. This is kind of your host for the evening, Matthew Betts, a.k.a. The Fantasy PT on Twitter, joined, as always, by Matt Okada and the OG redshirt himself, Mr. Kent Wyrock, our original host. What's up, man? Yeah. The boys are back. How's it going, fellas? Yeah, back in business here. Uh, I I just was too afraid to stay away from fantasy football for the entire year, so I had to jump back on after a little hiatus and talk, talk some football with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are so excited to honestly have the three of us back together. I don't know about you guys. It feels like Christmas morning. Mm. We got the band back together. We're talking projections. Okada and I have finally finished those. They'll be up on our Patreon website uh, very soon. Head on over to patreon.com slash redshirtspod to find all of those. Uh, but, you know, we, we decided, Okada, it would be kind of weird if you and I were just talking back and forth oh, I have player A projected for this many points, and you would say, I have player B for this many points. So to add a little bit of fun and spice to it, we brought back Kent. Um, And if you've been listening to the show for a long time, since the beginning, obviously you know Kent. But if you've just joined us in the past two months or so, first off, thank you and welcome. Uh, But Kent, give the people a rundown on on kind of your situation and uh, just let them know the story behind where you have been and why you aren't with us quite as much anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, it, some of the newer listeners probably don't even know that this podcast kind of stemmed from the the Fantasy Authority podcast tree and and kind of became its own entity, and we moved on to creating our own website and content, uh, and that's been really awesome. You guys have been doing a great job of managing that, and I I was the original you know starting member. I'd say Kevin came to me and said, "Let's get a podcast going," and then we. We had four hosts originally, and then Jen Smith uh, ultimately uh, went on to do other things, and then us three kind of carried the torch last year, and I think it was a pretty strong season. Uh, the reason I, I'm fading off a, a little bit into the background here for a while is I, I have my first kid on the way in October, so we begin to get a baby room ready, and uh, it's going to be right around the start of the season, so probably not going to have much time for uh, football stuff this year. I'll still be playing fantasy football, don't you worry, but... Um, podcasts and writing is, uh, I think, going to take a little hiatus there. And playing in the listener league, right? Defending champ. Yeah, I mean, I well, you know, you got to defend the crown, and when you're when you're on top, that's uh, that's your duty. Okay. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to listen to it if you beat me, Okada. That's it's sim- as simple fair. as that. This is a fair point. <laughs> so the the way this is going to work uh, tonight, just for our listeners to be aware. You know, we're going to preview every single division in the NFL. So Ken's going to be with us for quite a while, hopefully, which which should be fun. Um, we're going to let him be the host, and he's going to bounce some questions back and forth to Okada and myself. We'll discuss it amongst the three of us. So we'll just add another dynamic to the pod here. So, Kent, uh, moving forward, go ahead and take the reins of this, uh, this show. Yeah, so on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the AFC East. And, um, you know, I don't have currently projections made, although I did just sign up to do uh, Justin Freeman's projections contest again this year. And I did okay last year, but I want to improve on that. So I'll probably try and get some projections done at least before the start of the season. Uh, but these guys, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada, have already put in the time and dedication to come up with their own projections. Uh, so we're going to run through those for the AFC East right now, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Jets, and kind of uh, slice and dice these numbers a little bit and see uh, how these guys feel about the players and whether or not they have a difference in opinion. So we're going to start from the bottom of the AFC East, which last year was the New York Jets, 4-12. and uh, Not a great season, playing with rookie Sam Darnold as quarterback. Uh, they've gone through some changes. They added Le'Veon Bell. This is a team that's growing, or at least trying to grow. Do we believe that they are on the up-and-up, or... At least generally, how do you guys feel about the Jets? Is it a positive vibe, negative vibe, kind of in the middle? Where are you feeling right now? I would say that I have a decently positive vibe just because I feel like Darnold's going to take a step forward. Their receiving core should be a little more filled out. Le'Veon Bell is going to be a better running back than anyone they had last year, even though anyone who's listened to me or follows me on Twitter knows that I don't like him for fantasy himself this year, at least relative to, you know, 
the consensus. Um, and I think they improved their defense too. So we actually did some records projections, and I have them going eight and eight, uh, which I believe is second in division for me. So I'm I have a little bit of faith, although I do hate their head coach, and he is terrible. <laughs> that's that's what I wanted to bring up there. I have not much faith in this team at all this season. Um, I do like the pieces that they have there. So long-term, I love that they're building around Darnold. Um, you already talked about the defense stepping up. I actually only projected them for three wins this season, which sounds uh, crazy given that they had four last year. Uh, but I just don't see how they succeed in their division and obviously playing the Patriots twice. Uh, so for me, they're, they're going to struggle this year. But again, long-term, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're building around those offenses that we like the offensive pieces. So uh, long-term like what they're doing short-term. I'm still quite hesitant with this team. All right. Well, let's start at the top of the team here and Sam Darnold going into his second year uh, struggled a little bit, but I think down the stretch, he really turned on the jets and, and, and that oh, pun intended, by the way. That was um, beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, the puns are back, baby. If I'm on the show, the puns are rolling. <laughs> um, but Sam Darnold looked good at the end of the last year. So, I see you guys have projected a little bit of growth here, but nothing too crazy. Is there any like glimmer of hope that, and granted, not as as well as he did, but uh, like a a Pat Mahomes style flip the switch, like really go uh, maybe into like the thirty touchdown category? Is that even possible? Personally, I would say no. Uh... For two reasons. One, I don't think he has the talent of Mahomes, which I guess is not really surprising considering almost no one, if anyone, has the talent of Mahomes. Uh, I don't hate his talent. I think he'll be one of the better QBs from last year's class after Baker. But the main reason is I don't think he has the weapons that uh, that Patrick Mahomes had. Even with what I called an improved core, that improved from diddly squat to meh. Uh, Robbie Anderson is the, the guy I have leading that team in almost every receiving category. So, and not with, with, the, with, with not great stats for himself. So I think that the limited weaponry is going to keep him from having that kind of breakout. Yeah, I would, I would largely agree with that. I mean, I, I do think he takes a step forward. Like you said, Kent, we both projected him to do that. Um, but he entered as a pretty raw quarterback. Yes, everyone said he was pro-ready, but he made a lot of mistakes last year. And again, no surprise, he was a rookie. Um, but I think the offense in general isn't going to have the amount of um, opportunity from a play-calling standpoint that the Chiefs had with Mahomes, where they got a lot of plays off. They ran a ton of pass plays. Um, we'll talk about it probably in a bit, but Adam Gase, over the past three seasons, has not been the uh, quickest play caller uh, in the world, finishing close to the, the bottom of the league in plays per game. So I think that does limit Darnold's upside, um, not only in, in real NFL terms, but off, obviously you know in, uh, in fantasy as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point to touch on really quick, just because that's kind of the, the beginning of the basis for our projections, which would be useful for listeners to know how that works. But we kind of start with, how many plays is this team going to run? And then what is going to be the, the breakdown between pass and rush uh, throughout the course of the season? And then that gives you pass attempts and rush attempts to work off, and you can split those up between uh, all the quarterbacks, receivers, and running backs. Um, and yeah, this I have them by far the slowest team in the entire league. Uh, I have them running 936 plays, typically over 1,000. Just over 1,000 is like kind of average, and then you, when you get to the 1050 to 1100 range that's where you're getting really good as far as number of plays and surprisingly the Chiefs were actually pretty low in plays last year because they just had so many 50 yard touchdowns that they didn't need to extend drives but coming back to the Jets that that just brings down the fantasy upside of every player for me because they just have less opportunity yeah so you guys touched a little bit on the wide receiver core there so let's let's swing into that a little bit I think Robbie Anderson, between the two of you, one has more yards for him, one has more touchdowns, so it kind of balances out. But I'm seeing like a low wide receiver two type range, and he could have some maybe a little bit of upside on any given week. Is he is he the clear cut like going to get the most targets on this team, or do you think Jameson Crowder has an opportunity to really be a target hog uh, for Sam Darnold? We actually just talked about that on one of our most recent shows. Uh, when this drops, it will have been our 
probably last uh, show, two shows ago, so not the most recent, but two shows ago, uh, we talked about some under-the-radar players. And for me, I, I said Jamison Crowder because last year Sam Darnold was 27th in the league in terms of um, yards down the field per pass attempt. So he was checking down a lot. I think that definitely plays into, obviously, Jamison Crowder's strength there in the slot. Uh, but Okada said to that too, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell is there and he's going to get a ton of check down work. Mm. So I'm hopeful that Crowder can really take a step forward here compared to what we've seen in each of the last two seasons. But again, with the overall cap on the offense, I'm not overly optimistic. I'm more uh, hopeful, I'll say. Yeah, and I'll say I have Robbie projected for the most targets by a decent number. But in direct answer to your question, I think it could be like four different players who could realistically lead this team in targets between Le'Veon, Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, and then also Quincy Inunua. I'm not 100% convinced that Crowder's going to beat Inunua out for the slot role, and even if he does, if Inunua moves to the outside across from Robbie Anderson, he could end up with more targets. Um, so that's another reason that none of these guys overall really get very high in my rankings, because the limited targets to go around already are getting split up between a bunch of guys that it's really hard to pick a, a true wide receiver one or or even uh, target one, if you will. Yeah. And then, so real quick on Le'Veon Bell, I see you both have him projected for less than 1,000 rushing yards. I'm 1,000% with you on that. Uh, I think that's a good call. So I'm happy both of you were uh, on the same page as me there. Do you do you believe that Chris Herndon, even though he's suspended, could be a potential streaming candidate um, if you start with kind of a punt tight end situation in the draft? At some point later in the year, I'd say yes. Uh, we kind of touched, I don't even know how many pods ago, on the idea that do not draft him, but put one of your little watch list flags if you have one in your in your fantasy app. Because after a few weeks, uh, when he gets back from suspension, and if there's this is another guy who could not lead the team in targets, but take a hefty chunk of them, uh, he and Darnold kind of had a good thing going towards the end of last year, then uh, he could be streamable for sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with that. There's going to be weeks where I'm going to be interested in, in Chris Herndon, but as Okada said, you know, you have to wait on him for four weeks, so definitely don't draft him, but watch for him later in the year uh, for sure as a streamable target. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. And uh, let's go ahead and swing on over to the Buffalo Bills. They ended last season at 6-10. and I uh, had a little bit of a streak at the end of the season as well under uh, rookie quarterback Josh Allen. They are kind of in a similar stretch here as the Jets are. I would say their rosters are sort of comparable. Um, they probably have a little bit better defense than the Jets do. And uh, their running back situation is very confusing. But we'll get into all that. Let's start again with the quarterback, Josh Allen. I, I got to talk about this right away. And I believe, Betts, Betts, your projections are on the right here. I just want to make sure I'm calling the, per, the right person out. Um, yes. 771 rushing yards, but only two rushing touchdowns. Is that, am I seeing that right? Is this for McCoy? I, uh, no, Josh no, Allen. Josh Allen. That's, Ooh, that's probably a glitch. That, that's a bit, <laughs> that, I feel like it's a pretty big ratio of rushing yards to touchdowns. Uh, for comparison, Okada has 600 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Honestly, we know that his legs are probably the biggest fantasy impact that Josh Allen has right now. So, uh, I was curious about that number. If it's if it's a glitch in the projections, that's understandable. I'll, I will let it slide. Uh, but you know what? I'm judge, jury, and executioner here, so uh, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and address that. I don't think that's quite accurate, but uh, I will say I, you know, just talking about Josh Allen's rushing uh, upside here. I mean, I don't know that 700 yards sounds out of the question based off what he did last season. I mean, obviously his rushing let him be the top scoring quarterback down the stretch in fantasy. Um, but yeah, if he's getting that many rushing yards, which I think is probably too high, to be honest with you, I'd have to bring his rush, rushing touchdowns up. Um, so look for an adjustment for sure for me. But overall, I think the take home here between Okada and I is that uh, we love the upside with Josh Allen's rushing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I will say one thing is I think that fantasy owners are going to have a taste in their mouth with Josh Allen that his rushing is so good that it's p capable of putting him in the QB1 conversation because that's where he was over the last stretch of last year. But he was averaging like 100 rushing yards a game, and I think there's less chance of him repeating that those kinds of numbers than Lamar Jackson. 
who was kind of along a similar pace over that time because Lamar, a lot of Lamar Jackson's running was designed. A lot of Josh Allen's running was just scrambling around like a maniac. So I, I have him coming down to 600 yards over the entire season, um, which is still very, very good and will be one of the highest in the league. But it's not enough for me to make up for his awful, awful passing right now. So I have him all the way down at quarterback 20. Which, I mean, that's still viable in a, in a 2QB league, but I don't have him right at the 12, 13, 14 kind of range that some people are willing to put him at. See, I think I think for me, I don't know what you did, Okada. I want to I wanna talk real quick. Uh, did you have him taking a step forward in the passing game at all? I think a slight step forward, yes, just because he couldn't be much worse. Yeah, uh, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. I have his completion percentage coming up a little, his touchdown rate coming up a little. But he still ends up throwing 17 TDs and 16 interceptions for me, which is just awful. And yeah, yeah. So despite the fact that he takes a step forward, taking a step forward from absolute crap just gets him to, like, you know, a tiny isn't bit. relevant. Yes, maybe a yeah, little. Yeah. I, yes. I I was gonna in in right to fairness act here. I was gonna swing on over to Okada and see if 17 touchdowns passing for this year was. Maybe a hair low. Uh, do you mm-hmm. really think he doesn't make it to 20 at all? Like no chance at all? I, no, I, I I have him throwing 487 attempts, which is going to be one of the lowest in the league. I don't have that number up at the moment, but that combined with a bad completion percentage I and a bad, I don't think a great offense overall, and an offense that's going to focus on the run even when they do get to the red zone, which will be rare. I just don't, yeah, I have him towards the bottom of the league as far as passing touchdowns. Uh, that's fair. Um, as far as his receiving targets goes, last year he was led by Zay Jones, and that was kind of it. I mean, you had a little bit of an emergence of Robert Foster, but he was really just a deep threat. Um, not much nuance to to his game at all. They've added John Brown and Cole Beasley. Uh, do you see that being a positive? In- I mean, it must have a positive impact because the the receiving core last year was without a doubt one of the worst in the leagues, and I think now it's significantly better. I, I definitely think that has to factor into it. I mean, you talked about it. The weapons there last year were non-existent, and now he has at least some guys that we've seen have success um, in the league before. So I did bring Josh Allen's passing numbers up from last season more than Okada. Uh, and I think that's because of the fact that I have a little bit more confidence in this passing attack now that the weapons are there. Again, Josh Allen will have to execute to make it all come together, obviously. But yeah, out of those options there, uh, I definitely think that they all help Allen a lot. And I like the fact that he has two big-time deep threats in John Brown and Robert Foster. Um, I'll say for me, I, I'm i not a huge fan of what they did specifically. Yes, they improved across the board. But they kind of added John Brown, which is sort of a copy of Robert Foster. And obviously, we have a lot more data to support John Brown being good. But Robert Foster was actually really good as a deep threat last year, towards the end of the season especially. And then they added Cole Beasley, which Josh Allen is going to hate throwing to Cole Beasley because he does not want to throw dink and dunk passes, at least from what we saw last year. He wants to chuck it. I wish that they had gone and gotten like a Michael Crabtree type of guy who could contribute in the red zone and give them a big body guy. Uh, who could you know make jump balls in the intermediate range and things like that? So, if they had done that, I might have a little more faith and a little more passing touchdown action going Josh's way. But I, I just think they kind of brought in some names and didn't really solve the problem. Well, and, and so speaking of big body guys, let's talk about the tight ends. They signed Tyler Croft to uh, a decent deal, and then they drafted a talented receiver. Well talented receiving tight end Dawson Knox uh who I'm a fan of I don't think he'll be doing too much this year but uh between the two of them there should at least be a a decent little chunk of touchdown opportunity I don't know if it's going to translate into five six seven touchdowns but it could be three or four and you know again that little improvement over the the ghost of uh, what was it uh Charles Clay last year he had I think it was 185 yards or 184 yards and zero touchdowns so I feel like that's got to improve. Uh, the tight end position is better there now, so i i think I think there's room for improvement, and I, I'd probably peg him in the twenty to twenty one, uh, twenty to twenty three touchdown range. Josh Allen. So that's that's where my head's at right now. That's just an off the cuff opinion, but I, I could see some opportunity there. Let's um let's talk real quick about probably the most confusing backfield in football right now. Do you do either? Of you disagree with that? First of all, I think. 
it's one I of them. Think and so. maybe maybe yeah, the maybe the 49ers. For sure. 49ers might be the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh but we're talking about LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, the the ageless wonder, and Devin Singletary, the rookie. Uh I'm hearing some positive things out of the first like literally couple days of camp about Devin Singletary. Do you and and I'm seeing the projections in front of me. You guys pretty much have like a a third split for each of these guys right now. Is there is there an opportunity for Singletary to step up and take this lead job? A hundred percent, in my opinion. Um, I have him third in carries right now, but there's a decent chance that that's going to change over the next week or two in my projections. Um, I the main problem is I don't think there's any way, even if he looks best in training camp, that he enters the season as the one. Just because you've got two of the greatest veteran quarterbacks, quarterbacks, greatest veteran running backs in the <laughs> National Football League in front of him, and it's like almost disrespect to, to start him over them to start the season. So if he was going to take the job from the beginning, I would have a lot of confidence and excitement for Devin Singletary. As it is, he's third, like I said, in the pecking order. But there's a there's a, probably a chance that that's going to rise, and I'll shift some of. McCoy's and even Gore's rush attempts over to Singletary. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a realistic situation. I think it's a very slow playing type of situation. Like you said, Okada, I think Gore and McCoy handle the line share of the touches out of the gate. But um, as the season goes on and as those guys continue to be pretty pedestrian, in, in my opinion, in terms of fantasy for this part of their career and for the Bills um, I think they see what they have in the rookie in Singletary we previewed him a little bit on our, our rookie preview series a few months ago I'm not a huge fan of the of the talent there to be honest with you but the opportunity is certainly there if he can carve himself out a role and like Okada said you know if we see things shake out in training camp and preseason where he is getting more run with the ones I will definitely adjust my rankings and my projections accordingly yeah and you know, looking at the money situation here, they can save, I think it's just under six and a half million dollars by cutting LaShawn McCoy before the season starts. So I could see that being a potential thing here. Even though Frank Gore is older, they've got him on a one year cheap deal. He can come in, mentor the rookie for one year, and have him take over starting 2020. And LaShawn McCoy, you know, he's he's been playing there for a little while, but I, I don't think that they really have much reason to stick with him anymore. Last season was pretty rough for him. Um, I can't see this year being any better for him personally, so it's not like he's going to have an opportunity to, quote-unquote, go out on top or anything with the Bills. So, you know, whether or not he gets a job elsewhere, he, he could have that potential if he's a free agent to, to go to a winning team uh, later in the year, so he might be fine with that as well. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I could see this being Singletary's backfield. Um probably by about week eight or so and i don't think that's that's too crazy i'm on board with that that's uh that's i think all i really have to say about uh well i'll tell you what if you're drafting one receiver from the bills this year uh who are you drafting and why i think okada and i are both in agreement here for for me i know okada i'll let you speak to it it's john brown um i think his skill set with josh allen pairs perfectly and we have to take a step back to 2018 and remember what happened in the first half of the year. You guys probably remember Okada calling John Brown his start of the week at least four times in the first eight weeks. Let's go. Uh, because he was fantastic with Joe Flacco. Uh, I think the the pairing there with Josh Allen's strong arm and John Brown's deep ball skills uh, fits perfectly. So I would take a flyer on him personally. Yeah, and I just pulled up Fantasy Football Calculator's ADP, and Robert Foster is actually going two wide receiver spots ahead of John Brown, which I think just comes out of what he did last year at the end in heat. What? Yeah, and John Brown obviously had a terrible second half of the season once Lamar took over. So with the fact that Robert Foster is actually garnering more attention in in consensus, like drafting and ranking, that makes it even easier for me to go John Brown. Look, I I know John Brown's had his like medical issues and and it's all understandable uh, due to the genetics behind it, but... As far as a receiver talent goes, he is leaps and bounds better than Robert Foster, uh, and I'll, I'll 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 die on that hill. So I, I'm with you guys. I like John Brown. He's cheap enough to to be a low low risk investment. Um, so I'm with you there. Could have a few big games. Definitely a good best ball target. But let's swing on to the next team, who is the Miami Dolphins. Uh, last year they went seven and nine. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. Three out of the four teams in this uh, division went less than 500. It's real tough uh, competition mm. for the Patriots. So but, sad. Yeah. An, an, an interesting turn of events here with the Dolphins trading for Josh Rosen. They signed Fitzpatrick, uh, the beard himself, uh, to start as their quarterback. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Uh, they've got an interesting story going on there. I've heard recently that Kalen Balaj might be the running back one, and Kenyon Drake is once again just chop liver, uh, tail as old as time. So this is this is a confusing mess for predicting fantasy production. So more power to you guys for trying to figure this out. Um, where do we start? Let's just start with the quarterbacks. How many games do you think Ryan Fitzpatrick starts and – uh, when does that that changeover take take place? I have him for six. I think that's the first six games of the season, and I think he wins the job in camp. But at some point, they're awful. He throws five picks in a game, and they say, "All right, well, let's just see what we've got in Rosen before we have to go draft another quarterback in the first round next year." Yeah, I've got him for seven. So same logic I think they have to see what they have in Rosen I mean they did just trade for him this season they've got to know is he their guy or are they going to draft one of those top-notch guys next season yeah and considering Josh Allen's draft um value or or, or pedigree if you want to call it that uh they Josh actually got Rosen, him for what did I say Josh Allen Josh Rosen Josh yes Allen, yeah. <laughs> too many Joshes um no but considering what what he was drafted at the price they paid to get him was very cheap um so I, I agree that they at least got to take a swing and see if he could be the quarterback of the future because we all know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not that. So uh, they're kind of hoping that he is. I I don't think he is. I think you guys kind of agree that Rosen isn't isn't that great, and he was really bad last year uh, on a very dysfunctional Cardinals team. So I can see. I I think I'm with you about half the season until they just throw Josh Allen into the fire. Uh, did I say it again? Josh Rosen. <laughs> yeah, he did it again. <laughs> Josh Rosen into the fire. Um, and, but n- I, neither of these quarterbacks are startable unless you're in a super flex or two QB league. Nope. Yeah. That's as simple as that. <laughs> uh, running back position. Who's going to be the starter? Kenyon Drake or Kalen Blage and why? If you would have asked me this a week ago, I think I would have been a resounding <laughs> Kenyon Drake. Yeah. Um, even... I'll say for fantasy, so you know, answering your question, I do see a scenario where Kalen Balaj gets more early down work than Kenyon Drake, um, but I find it hard to believe, given how effective Kenyon Drake was last season. In terms of fantasy, you have to look at the passing game and what Kenyon Drake did last season, and he was phenomenal, uh, finishing as a mid-range RB2 on almost no work on the rushing attack because Adam Gase just wouldn't use him. Now you've got a an offensive system that uses the running backs very well, obviously coming from the Patriots. We know what they do with the running backs. So it's going to be a committee. But for me, you have to look at fantasy different than NFL usage. And it's Kenyon Drake all day above Kalen Balazs. It doesn't matter to me if Kalen Balazs is named the starter by the team. Uh, I agree with you there. And I also don't think that Balazs will be named the starter. I saw or heard a little whispers that Brian Flores like wants to mess with the minds of his players by kind of saying that some other guy is going to be the starter and and sort of putting a fire under their butts to try harder uh, to to you know claim the job properly. So maybe that's what's going on here with with Drake and Balage. I, I do have Balage getting a decent chunk of the carries right now. I have to split it 215 to 154 for rush attempts. But to Bess's point, Drake's got 50 receptions in my projections. So that's enough to get him all the way up into the RB2 range. And I like Balazs maybe as a late, late sleeper, but I don't, with the value that he might end up losing because of these reports, I don't know if I'll be able to draft him. You know, and I do think that Kenny Drake will probably have the most touches at the end of the season uh, if both stay healthy. But I'm actually kind of surprised your guys' receiving numbers on Balage are as low as they are. I could see those being maybe a little bit higher. Uh, and if he does impress in camp, this could be more of a 50-50 fire and ice type backfield where Kenny Drake's probably more of the lead rusher and gets receptions, but Balage is used uh, for you know being played out of the slot. He's a pretty shifty, tall receiver uh, when playing out of the backfield. So I-, I could see those numbers maybe being a little bit higher than what both of you currently have him projected at, but... Uh, that's picking hairs, and obviously you guys are projecting 
based on like this pre-camp situation. And we'll find out soon enough who's going to be the quote unquote top dog. But uh, I think 50, 50 is probably going to be about right at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think the other thing to, you know, to speak to that is I wanted to give these guys more touches. I kept thinking to myself like this has to be too low, but I just couldn't because of how, you know, Okada said we start our projections with offensive plays per game. Um, and I don't see this team being able to really sustain a lot of drives, being able to give those guys more touches. So I, I wish I could. I just don't see it really changing for me personally based off how bad I think this offense is going to be. Yeah. And, you know, let's let's swing over to the wide receivers. Uh, the year is 2019 and we are still hyping up Devontae Parker in the preseason. Woo, it's a, it's it's just set on repeat. Someone's got a clock. They set an alarm. They go off yearly. Oh, I got to go tweet about Devontae Parker again because he's looking good in preseason and it never translates in the real deal. Uh, you both have him projected to be the top receiver. I know there's a lot of people in the Twitter verse that think that Albert Wilson has an opportunity here uh, to be kind of a target hog and play a little bit more out of the slot. Kenny Stills is a deep threat. Honestly, this receiving core, it, it's like a could be good type of situation. The problem is it starts with the quarterback, and we just talked about how much we really don't like what's going on there. So, with that being said, let's just assume Devontae Parker is the top dog. I'm seeing a pretty big disparity between your two uh, projections of him. Okada's got him at 877 yards and six touchdowns, and then 652 yards and four touchdowns for bets. So, you two go ahead and battle it out a little bit on Parker, and I'll just sit back and enjoy it. Mm. Okada, you can go first. I'll, I'll let you have the floor on this one since you're way more of a Devontae Parker truther this year than I am. All right. Well, it 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 starts with three words, gentlemen, and that is Adam Gay stinks. Because he's been <laughs> screwing Devontae Parker over in real NFL and fantasy life for, uh, for forever. For as long as he was there. Certainly last year it was awful. Um, they, he, we know how he holds grudges against players for some reason, and no one got a worse grudge last year than Devontae Parker from Adam Gase's strange eyeballs. Um, and I always liked him as a talent, and let's be honest, when he's actually been on the field and gets targets, he's been very good with them. He just either has been injured, which I will not say is impossible, he's very likely that he suffers a little bit of an injury at some point this year, but I'm not going to project off that. And he didn't get the targets a lot of the time when he should have when he was on the field because of Gase. So I had him by far leading the team in targets at 120. And based off that target volume, the numbers that Kent, you read off, still really aren't that good. And that comes a lot from the bad quarterback play. Uh, but I do have him in my wide receiver three range because of this, at least from a projection standpoint. I think he's decent, and I think there's a chance he's usable in fantasy. I think for one week, you're right. <laughs> I think he's usable <laughs> that one week. Uh, I just, I mean, we just talked about it with, and we'll get to it eventually, you know, in future uh, podcasts and breakdowns with uh, Derek Henry, but you just hear it so much. Like, you have to show me at some point that it's going to happen before I actually buy into it. And when you look at the history of trends in the NFL in terms of, you know, how long it takes for players to produce before they actually become consistent, reliable options in the passing game, um, it, it, the boat has the boat has sailed. The ship has sailed, as they say, for Devontae Parker. Um, I, I just talked about it. The offense I have projected as one of the worst in the league, I believe 31st in scoring. I don't. I just don't want Devontae Parker, to be honest, and I find it hard to see a scenario where he is successful given the quarterback play, given the poor offense. Okay, uh, I'm going to score that one point apiece. It was a tie right down the middle. Oh, wow, I'll take that considering <laughs> how bad Parker's been. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really tough to predict, and it's it, this is the receiving core. I, I don't know if I want to draft any of them, Really? Like, I think some of them will be available on the waiver wire and you kind of sit back and watch the targets for a couple weeks and then and snag, you know, the cheapest one on the waivers and hope he turns out to be a reliable option. But even that's not exciting. But if you're in the teen rounds, I could understand taking a swing on uh, one of these three guys. Yeah. And to that point, I'll just pull it up really quick. Fantasy Football Calculator has him, Devontae Parker, going in the 13th round as a okay, wide receiver 58 cheap. behind guys like Traquan Smith and Mikel Hardman. So oh, wow. 
Yeah. Uh, give me the guy who has a very good chance to lead his team in targets and actually was drafted with some serious capital and shown some talent. Yeah. Uh, Mike Gesicki, the athletic beast who we don't really know if he can play football well yet or not. How's he going to do this here? I mean, he can catch one-handed uh, you know, touchdowns in shorts, as we saw this week, if you haven't seen that highlight. <laughs> oh, that was nice. Oh, that, that was, was spicy. Nice. Uh, I'm I'm liking Gesicki this year. Um, not a ton, because it's going to start with Fitzpatrick, in my opinion, who has not shown a procliv- proclivity to target his tight ends, and then it's going to go to Rosen, who's terrible. So it's a really bad situation for him. However... I was a huge fan of him coming out last year. I think he has a lot of talent, and I think that he's not going to be a top 12 tight end, in my opinion, at any point for uh, any long stretch. But if you absolutely punt at the position, I think he'll give you several weeks of value. Um, I have him at four receiving touchdowns, which is actually the second most on the team, which is not great, obviously. (laughs) Clearly, I'm with bets on the scoring there. But he's going to be a guy who gives you a couple weeks, so I'll... I consider him a good streamer. I would say, to speak to that, Okada, real quick, uh, Josh Rosen, I think, is the key for Gesicki. I think if Rosen starts more games, I'm with you. I like him as a late round, you know, literally the last pick of your draft uh, pick or a streamer on the waiver wire. Uh, However, as you said, Fitz does not target the tight end a bunch. Last year, Tampa Bay, 68% of their targets went to the wide receiver position. In 2016 and 15, when he was the starter with the Jets, 71% and 74% to the wide receiver position. So he doesn't look that way. And if he starts for half the season, as Okada and I are projecting, um, it's hard to see a scenario where he's very relevant for fantasy, um, especially in draft season. Yeah, and I will say the other big thing to kind of that that forms the foundation of our projections is looking at the team history and then looking at the coach's history. And we really don't know what to expect from Brian Flores, but as the head coach and then bringing in Chad O'Shea as the offensive coordinator, both of those guys come from the Patriots system. Maybe there's a chance that they think that they can use Gasicki in a similar way that Gronk was used in his heyday. Obviously, he's not Gronk yet, but he has the athletic ability to kind of maybe fill a similar role. So it could be that, that he has some upside because of that, too. Uh, I agree. Excellent segue, Okada. Let's talk about the Patriots now. Mm. Um, last year, we, they went 11-5. and five. They win the division. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Who cares? Okay, that's the end of the show. <laughs> um, no, look, Tom Brady, he's what, like 57 years old now or something? And I believe that's correct. His birthday's actually this Saturday, so it'll be 58. No, it, so is he turning, is it 43? 42. 42. 40, 42, okay. Yep. So... Seeing a quarterback perform at his level at that age is something that we just don't get to see very often, and it's truly incredible. I think even the biggest Patriots haters can kind of respect Brady in in how he approaches the game and how he approaches his life, to be frank, uh, to be able to play for so long. So I'm going to take a look at your projections here, but do you guys think that he's going to stay in quarterback one territory for one more year? And and if so or if not, how how many – how longer? How much longer can he do this? I mean, that's really just the <laughs> bottom line question here is Father Time is undefeated, and even Tom Brady will succumb to that pressure at some point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the pod yet, Kent, but I was assigned uh, at the NFL Network to start putting together the retirement packet for Tom Brady so that when he oh, retires, whenever okay. that may be, we've got a bunch of research for you know the 50 hours a week I'm sure that we'll do on him of television mm-hmm. it's too early man put that <laughs> retirement packet away is what i have to say about that even though i put a lot of work into it he's not no he's not retiring this season i don't think or after the season i think he'll retire maybe after the following season um he have you seen him has anyone looked at tom brady recently he's literally getting younger he bought the face <laughs> app and somehow converted it into real life and is is aging backwards now um yeah it's incredible he's a wizard but to your to your question of fantasy relevance i don't have him in the qb1 range i have him kind of as a mid-range qb2 um and it's not really an indictment on him it's more a uh run pass split 
thing for me. I have them throwing 53.5% of the time, which is very low relative to the entire league. I think that they're going to lean more and more on the running game. They drafted Damian Harris. They've got three good, four good running backs, honestly, if you count Burkett and if he makes a team. So I just don't see him having the volume to be great. I'm picturing okada's boss coming over and telling him all right you're assigned to start researching this retirement package for tom brady and okada just says nope i I will not face the truth uh no i I agree with you 100 there okada i don't think the volume is going to be there uh to make him a qb1 i think we have to follow what the team is doing you know they lose gronk obviously to retirement they draft uh two running backs early the past two seasons um the the trend is switching for sure tom brady's days as a surefire locked and loaded you know top five six seven quarterback in fantasy are over unfortunately i do think he has some qb1 weeks this season but uh i'm not really targeting him in any of my drafts because i don't think the upside is there the way it has been in previous years yeah i've done a few um if you've heard of the fantasy insanity eliminators or i think they're the fantasy cares eliminators now run by john bosch uh it's like a super flex league with some other weird rules but i've gotten tom brady as my second quarterback in quite a few of those and i i've been very happy with that value uh looking maybe from a super flex perspective i think he could pay off pretty well uh people are starting to get skittish about his age even though he is tom brady so the value is kind of reflecting that a little bit. And even though he might not be a quarterback one, there's still some some payoff uh, that you can reap here. So I'm kind of excited about that. Talking about that running game, I've heard recently that Sony Michelle has come into camp and just started picking up right where he left off last year. Uh, by the end of the year and in the playoffs, he was just dominating. Um he was rushing, I think, like 100 yards a game. I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now, but he was he was really going off at the end of the year. Uh, looked really solid. Do you believe that Damian Harris is any kind of a threat to him at all? I, I've heard some people think he is. I don't know if I'm in that category yet, but I could be swayed. So if you guys have any any uh, ideas on that, let me know. No, I, I do think that Damian Harris is a threat in – in a way, in the sense that I think that he'll be second on that team in carries, and that's basically adding a second in carries guy, because last year, you know, it was Burkhead, James Devlin, and James White behind Michelle. So this is adding a whole new guy who can really tote the rock. So I have him getting a decent number of carries and also a decent number of touchdowns. I have the touchdowns. They I have the team for 19 rushing touchdowns, which is pretty solid, but Sony Michelle only has eight of those. And then I have two, four, and three split between White, Harris, and Burkhead. And I think that that's the main issue for me with Michelle. Because if he could get the huge majority of those touchdowns and end up with 15, which is not impossible, then that would make up for his complete lack of involvement in the passing game last year. And that lack of involvement in the passing game has hurt him in my rankings after doing these projections. I have him for almost 1,000 rushing yards and eight touchdowns, which is really good. But I only have him for seven catches for 53 yards, which is – and there's a chance he step takes a little step forward, maybe. But when you have James White and Rex Burkhead and Damian Harris who can catch, there's not really a need for him to. And that drops him all the way down into like the mid-RB3 range for me right now from a pure projections standpoint. That may not be how my rankings shake out, but just by fantasy points, that's where I have him. Yeah, the, the the passing upside there for him is certainly capped, as you said, Okada. The other thing for me that I'm concerned about with Michelle uh, is injury. Obviously, we have to talk about that because if he does miss time, Damian Harris, to me, is a top 20 play at the running back position, regardless of opponent, because of how we project this team to be uh, more of a run-heavy team than they've ever been. So, you know, with Michelle, obviously, this is his second surgery now, coming off of the surgery in the offseason in less than a calendar year. Um, he has the history of the ACL tear. He entered the league with concerns of arthritis in the knee. Now he has two separate scopes in less than a calendar year. Um, I do my projections with injuries uh, factored in, and I don't have him playing 16 games. I personally don't see a situation where that happens. So Damian Harris is going to have value at some point this season. I personally believe he needs to be rostered in 100% of fantasy leagues um, because Sonny Michelle is not going to finish the season uh, as a, a picture of health, in my opinion. So I think that's where Damian Harris gets his value. I think that's where there's a scenario that exists where Harris, Harris steals the job from Michelle 
if injury allows the door to open. That's yeah, that's probably the best take. And obviously, from the medical perspective, you know uh, what's going on there with Sony and his knee. So uh, that's the Damian Harris could be like a league winner. Uh, doesn't really do much in the beginning of the year, and then Sony goes down, and then he gets a huge bulk of opportunity in rushing and receiving. Uh, I do want to real quick point out, both of you have James White projected for probably a mid-running back two season in like half PPR. He's been fairly consistent over the last couple years. D- does the addition of Damian Harris hurt his opportunity, though? Um, A little bit, just a tiny bit, but... Not that much. Um, I still have him take getting 118 targets, which is second on yeah. the team. And yeah, climbing his way up into RB2 range ju- pretty much just based off that receiving talent. And he's one of the guys that jumps the most for sure in PPR because, you know, I have him for 87 catches. That's 43 and a half extra points he gets if you go from half to full PPR. So I really like him. I think, I think. My projection of him, which is RB21 right now, I'll probably draft and rank him higher than that because he has so little risk relative to a few of the guys above him. Yeah, I, I largely echo that. Um, I don't think it really affects him a ton. I do, like we said, you know, Harris is a, a good pass catcher in his own right, but he's no James White. He is the only running back that I really want in going into my draft as a, as a target. I mean, he's going as RB27, and last year finished as the RB8 in fantasy in, in half PPR. So uh, I don't think he does that again this season, but I think he's a lock for an RB2 finish based off of passing volume alone, uh, and he's an absolute steal at his current price. You know, and and there's something, something to be said about they, the Patriots lost actually quite a bit of targets from last year between Rob Gronkowski, Chris Hogan, even Cordero Patterson. They might not have Josh Gordon. We're still not really sure. It's been all quiet on that front for now. For now, I'm going to assume Gordon will not play and probably if he does play, won't play a whole season. So there's going to be targets to go around here. We know Edelman's locked in uh, as a top receiver here. Nikhil Harry, uh, high draft pedigree as well. Do you think that he has an instant impact on this offense, and does he have some fantasy relevance, and is he draftable? Um, I think he's draftable for sure if for no other reason than almost as a handcuff to Edelman. I think it'll be hard to get reliable value out of him when Edelman's on the field. I do have him for six touchdowns, so that's the impact I think he does make on the offense, and that, you know, anytime that he scores a touchdown, he's going to be usable in fantasy. But the the target count for him I don't think is going to be enough as a rookie for him to be reliable. Um, but if Edelman were to go down, and that's where I say he's almost handcuffy, which Edelman has been somewhat prone to do, he could be forced to you know hundred target plus pace, and he would be very viable if that happened. I personally am not drafting Nikhil Harry because of his draft price. I believe last time I looked, it was around the eighth round and and Okada and I have talked about the names going around him in previous episodes uh, where there's just so much more known value there for me Um, and we know you know rookie wide receivers in fantasy very rarely do uh, anything you know that's that's relevant in terms of being a starter in your lineup so I think it helps Tom Brady and the offense more than it helps your fantasy team but like Okada said uh, if Edelman would go down due to injury that often that opportunity there for him would be uh, too much to ignore. And I think that's where he has value. Yeah, that's a really solid point. He's according to FFC, he's down to the ninth round, but there's names right behind him like Kiki Kuti, Curtis Samuel, Didi Westbrook. And I'd rather have any of those guys for sure by a long shot, actually, um, especially with <clears throat> Didi Westbrook, who I love. Uh, yes. But yeah, he it's it's rough in that range. Yeah. I was just going to say that that wide receiver like three category feels ginormous to me this year. So you miss out on Harry. It's not going to be a big deal. You'll be able to find a replaceable uh, player there. So not a huge deal. But um, yeah, I think those are the only two receivers that you're really going to be able to count on. So uh, up up last for the Patriots, I'd like you guys to please tell me who the next Rob Gronkowski will be on this team, please. <laughs> Absolutely no, 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 yep. no, guys. Listen, he has to exist. People have told me that the the Patriots they love their tight ends, so the next tight end to replace Gronkowski will become Gronkowski, uh, right? Yeah, not not even a little bit. Um, the, everybody who's bought into that narrative, unbuy, sell, sell, sell on that narrative. It's not going to happen. Uh, we had at the network James Palmer, who's Carson Palmer's brother, uh, little brother. He's a QB's coach, and he works with a lot of young quarterbacks. 
But he made a point when, when he was in about the, the Patriots offense and the way that it works. And it's, this is what we do well as a team. And we're just going to have everybody pitch in in whatever way they're capable based off their talent to that mindset and that, you know, uh, style. And no one on this team is even close to capable of what Rob Gronkowski was doing for a while. So that means that they're just going to focus on different things that they do well, which in, I think, going into this season is going to be running the ball and targeting Julian Edelman a lot. Yep. I can't add much to that, honestly. I'm staying away from this situation in terms of the tight end. So, yes, everything Okada said, I certainly echo. Uh, Not going to be fantasy relevant this season. Uh, for those who missed it, I was being completely sarcastic. I don't want to touch any of these tight ends with a 10-foot <laughs> nope. pole this year in fantasy. So just wanted to get that disclaimer out there. Um, but yeah, I think that about covers it for the Patriots. So before we get out of here today, I understand we got to do a little bit of sponsor action. Yeah, this episode is going to be brought to you by our amazing friends over at Trophy Smack. Uh, mm. My goodness, those trophies, Okada, have you been on their website? Yes. They are they are sweet spicy. Fire. They are so nice. They are the best in the industry, in my opinion, and we're happy to sponsor with them. They've got everything you need if you're a champion or a commissioner of your fantasy league uh, to head on over there to get your league a trophy, ring, or belt. When you head over to trophysmack.com, use the promo code RedShirts, and you will get a free ring with the purchase of any trophy or belt. Mm. That is an awesome deal. And honestly, I have a league that needs a trophy. It's it's me and a bunch of my Marine buddies, and we haven't had one uh, for the last couple of years. So we need to get one. So maybe I should look into that. That sounds like a good gig. I, I just had to pull up the website really quick, by the way, and I discovered that they have a trophy with a unicorn on top that has speared a football with its horn and is pooping rainbows. And it says <laughs> in a big plaque, I poop rainbows on my league this season. <laughs> Oh my god, so, that's incredible. You've got some what? really standard sick-looking trophies, but you've also got some very goofy stuff if you <laughs> lean that direction for your league. Well, that's crazy. So, uh I'm going to have to go get me one of them trophies. Maybe not the unicorn one, but one of them. <laughs> um but that's it for the AFC East show. Uh my name is Kent Wyrock. I was the host of this program, and you can find me on Twitter at Kent Wyrock. Uh if you want to know how to spell it, just give it a couple tries. You'll figure it out. And uh gentlemen, <laughs> Yeah, you can find me at Matt Okada. Uh, uh, that's it. <laughs> find me on Twitter at the Fantasy PT. Look for our next episode. We're going to preview the NFC East. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Divisional Breakdown of the AFC East. Uh, we'll be having a ton more of these, so be sure to uh, stay tuned in and check them out. And once again, we are the Red Shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.